Alright, since you uh, haven't heard it this morning from anyone here, I'm sure, good morning. Um, I think we're a little, is it a little loud? Seems loud to me. Um, now last lesson we looked at God's plan for man and kind of examined it and looked a little deeper into it. And today we're going to touch back on that subject just a little bit. We're going to look at the salvation foreshadowed. So we're going to look back at God's plan through the Bible. And we've, we've often heard that term of it being foreshadowed. So we're going to look into that in the Old Testament and with Jesus about that. Uh, as you can see from the handout, there are quite a few scriptures associated with this. So I won't list all those. And we'll touch those as we go through. But we want to look at the fact that as Christians, we enjoy a very privileged position. We often don't stop to think about that. We often kind of take that for granted because this is our normal. When it comes to religion, this is just what we do. But we stop and think about the old times. Back in the Old Testament, things weren't quite this simple, were they? Things were a lot more difficult for people who were trying to follow God and trying to obey His commandments didn't enjoy the freedoms that we have and didn't enjoy the simplicity, simplicity that we have in the Holy Scriptures. God's plan for our redemption is laid out before us in the Scripture and we see the plan unfolding across the centuries when we look back through time, through the Bible. The view of salvation we now enjoy has not always been quite so clear. The Father did not reveal His plan completely until after Christ sacrificed Himself for our sins. Rather than revealing his plan prematurely, God provided glimpses through his dealings with people and through prophecies. And we read about that, we see that, like I said, we often don't think about that. But God had his method of bringing this plan into fruition. Uh, God could have easily told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to take you away from your family, I'm going to put you in a far country and I'm going to start over with you. I'm going to get you away from all the influences that you have here. And we're going to start and begin again. I'm going to wait until you're old and you've lost all hope and I'm going to give you one child. And through that one child, I'm going to make a nation that people will not be able to number. Then I'm going to take those people because they fall away and I'm going to send them into slavery for 400 years. Then eventually I'm going to bring them out of slavery and I'm going to give them this land that I promised you now, centuries later in time. And then through that time, I'm going to bring one person into this world who's going to be the author of salvation for everyone who has ever lived and everyone who ever will live. But he didn't do that, did he? Matter of fact, Abraham did not know much of anything as we looked at last time, except the fact God said, get up from your family, from your country, and leave. And then I'm going to bless you. And Abraham did that. He didn't stop and ask what the future plans were. He didn't ask, how am I going to get from here to there? How am I going to pay for this journey? He didn't ask any of these questions. He just said, okay. And he got up and he went. We look at this, and we talked about this numerous, time, numerous times before. This idea of the plan of salvation, the plan for mankind, 
really stirred the interest of people, the prophets especially. When we look at 1 Peter 10, in verses 10 and 11, it says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which is in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. The prophets inquired, they asked. They searched, they looked at all the writings that they had available. Their inquiries were not answered. It wasn't the appropriate time. God did not give them the information that they wanted. It was written in the writings that they had at the time that laid out all this. There were prophecies there for sure. But everything wasn't explained. And that's what they were looking for. That's what they were wanting. The promises God made to Abraham seemed impossible. But Abraham willingly followed his instructions despite only having a shadow of the plan that was to come. Quite an example of faith. We talked about that in our, in our last study too. The faith that Abraham showed at that time based on nothing but what God had told him is the faith that we're supposed to have today. We also discussed this. If God came to us today and told us, you have to pick up tomorrow, leave everything that you own, leave everybody that you know, go to a totally different part of the world, would we be able to do it? We look at the map. Abraham's trip doesn't look that bad. He starts over by the seashore. He goes up where the fertile mountains are, and he comes back down into the land of Canaan. Looks great on the map. When we stop and think about it, he walked. This is not a trip that he did in a day or a week. He didn't have a bus to haul his family in. He didn't have a car to drive. He walked. He had to herd all his livestock that he took with him. He had to herd all his family and his servants and everything else with him. It was a difficult journey, I'm sure. Scripture declares to us the value of the Old Testament. Paul encouraged the Corinthians to learn from the mistakes that the Israelites made. Reading further, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 and 12. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands... Take heed lest he fall. So what is this verse telling us? Things happen to them as what? As an example. Example to who? It's going to be an example to us, right? We're the ones that are following. Break the verse down a little bit more. They're written down for what? For our instruction. For our learning. These things weren't written down just as a history lesson so that we can familiarize ourselves with the Israelites. It was written down to show the things that they did correctly. It's to show the things that they did wrong so that we can learn from those. Scripture tells us that God is the same. He doesn't change. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So the things that God disliked then, God dislikes today. As a society, we seem to have a very difficult time understanding that. I believe the majority of the church has a good hold on that. 
But we we see in society, and we see even in religious groups these days who claim to be Christian, acceptance of some of these things, such as homosexuality, such as frequent marriage, divorce, and remarriage, things like that which God specifically states in the scriptures he abhors. But yet they adopt these things and they allow these things. Something that we have to stand to guard against. We can be kind to other people. We can be kind to people who are not Christians. We do that on a daily basis. Hopefully we do. But we cannot endorse the sin that they're involved in, regardless of what that sin is. Regardless of what the political or societal pressure is on us, we cannot accept and we cannot approve or encourage that behavior. We talk about Christians, yes, it's warm up here. We talk about Christians and what is our purpose as Christians? What is our job? So you can save the lost, right? It is our job to keep people from being lost. But if we see someone involved in a sin like that and we encourage that sin, we're not doing our best to keep them from being lost. We're encouraging them to lose their soul. So we can't accept those. We can't approve of those. One example of the foreshadowing of the Christian law was the sacrificial system under the Mosaic law. Why did the law require sacrifices? Well, you can give me the answers to that, but one of the answers to that is it was to foreshadow the significance of the sacrifice of Christ. It was an example showing what would be coming. All these sacrifices that could not save man from their sin was a foreshadowing of the one sacrifice that would be able to save man from his sin. The old law served an important role in the spiritual development of the Israelite people. Romans 3.20 tells us that the old law brought the knowledge of sin. The making, of man, the making man aware of sin also opened our eyes to the need of salvation. If we do not understand what sin is, we don't know when we sin. If we don't know when we sin, we don't know that we need salvation from our sin. So there was a purpose to the old law. The, old, the purpose was bringing in the introduction to the people that there are a set of commands from God that we have to follow, and when we don't follow those commands, we sin. Sacrificial system also showed that when we sin, there is a price to be paid. Under the Old Testament law, then the animal sacrifices helped to roll those sins forward. But that was a price that had to be paid, the blood of those animals. Ultimately, the blood of Christ was the sacrifice that covered all sins. We look at the promise, Galatians 3, 6 through 9, we begin to see the the shadow of God's plan and the promise made to Abraham and the Savior of the world would come. Abraham's great faith is referenced throughout the New Testament. Our scriptures here in Galatians makes it clear that the followers of God must possess a similar faith. We'll look at verse 7. It says, Know then that those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The Israelites mistakenly believed that a physical relation to Abraham was the most important thing. But Paul showed them otherwise. 
There were people at the time, people of the Israelite nation thought as long as they were of the Israelite blood, then they were going to be saved. Didn't make any difference. They were the sons of Abraham, therefore they were going to be saved. But we understand our actions do play a part. No, we cannot, as in other religions, do enough good works to earn our salvation. We've talked about that before in the last lesson. What is the price of sin? Death, right? Therefore, to pay for our sins would require our death. But we would die in sin. So we wouldn't be saved. Christ solves that problem. Christ died for us so that we could be saved. So Paul instructed them that it doesn't matter who your father is. Your actions play a part. We cannot earn the salvation through our works. But still our works are required. It was observed by David Lipscomb and J.W. Shepherd that these scriptures teach that Abraham's blood in the veins was of no avail in the way of salvation unless accompanied by Abraham's faith in the heart. The foreshadowing of salvation is explicitly stated in verse 8 of this scripture. It says, And, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. We look at the scripture, it says, that foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. How were the Israelites justified at their time? No guesses? They were justified through their adherence to the Mosaic law, were they not? If they followed the Mosaic law, and did what was right in the sight of the law. They offered the sacrifices that were required. Their sins were rolled forward. And at Christ's death they were justified. But that wasn't true for the Gentiles was it? The Gentiles were not under the Mosaic law. This is a prediction of what is going to happen. God would justify the Gentiles. Not by the Mosaic law. But by faith. So if we are not of the Israelite nation, if we're not of the Israelite blood, and we're not living before the time of Christ, then the Mosaic law does us no good. We're not justified by that law. The Gentiles were to be justified by faith, not by following the Jewish practices. If we wish to be saved, we have to trust and obey. That is by the faith. When we look back at the purpose of the law, Paul states that the Jews had great advantage because of the oracles of God were committed to them, Romans 3, verses 1 and 2. Having possession of the law, they had an advantage over all others, the information that pointed to the coming of the Messiah. This is information that the non-Israelite people did not have. Gentiles did not have this prophecies of the coming of the Messiah and what was going to happen. The Mosaic Law functioned to identify human sin, prepare mankind for God's solution of faith in Jesus Christ. 
What many in the religious world miss is the concept brought out in Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. When we look at those verses, it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. When we look at this, it says, Therefore the law. When it talks about law here, it's talking about the Mosaic law. It was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. So remember the term schoolmaster. We're going to look at that in just a moment. That we might be justified by faith, but after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. We're going to be justified by faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. Then after that faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. What was the schoolmaster? The Mosaic Law. So after Christ has come and our faith in Christ, we're not under the old law any longer. Schoolmaster here is a servant who led children, usually ages between 6 and 16, to school and back home each day. But once the children were grown, there was no more need of such a guardian, and he no longer had authority over his charges. Once Christ and the gospel had come, there was no longer a need for the old law to lead us to him. And there was no authority of the old law over us. The schoolmaster has now been put aside because the schoolmaster is no longer required. The Hebrew writer explains that Christ came to earth so that the faithful could be saved. When we look at Hebrews 2 verses 14, it says... Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. The children share in flesh and blood. That's us, the children, children of God. He himself, likewise, that's Christ, took part of the same, partook of the same that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Christ died on the cross for us. But Christ died on the cross also to overcome sin. We read in the Bible of a few stories of people who were raised from the dead. We learned of a prophet who raised people from the dead, or a person from the dead. We learn about Christ who raised Lazarus from the dead. All these things have something in common. Yes, they had died, but someone else raised them from the dead. In the case of our Savior, he is the only one in recorded history who ever raised himself from the dead. He overcame death. Something no one else has ever been able to do and ever will be able to do. He was the only one who could defeat death. And he did that on our behalf. Verse 15 tells us that because of his sacrifice, we can be free from the fear of death. Christ has defeated death. Why then should we be afraid? It's oftentimes difficult for us to think about that and this idea of fear of death. This is the only life we know. We don't have any experience with anything else. So it's very difficult for us when we think about death. The idea of leaving this world, leaving the people that we love, 
then that can be very, very scary, right? Not only that, we don't want to leave the people we love, do we? But, <clears throat> unfortunately, eventually that's going to be a fate of all of us, all right? However, the joy that awaits us as Christians is promised to exceed any that we've known here on earth. Only by leaving heaven and becoming human could Christ overcome this death. Christ has told us and promised us that once we do leave this life, as faithful Christians, the life that we receive is going to be so much better than we could ever have here. So then we come back to the idea of faith. Do we believe his promise? Even in scriptures we see that Paul did, right? Paul talked about the fact that it was better for him to die. He wanted to die and go to be with Christ. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand. This relief from fear is promised to all those who are children of Abraham, but this does not refer to the Jewish people only. It is promised to all who by faith have become children of God. We look here at Galatians 3. 26 through 29, it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. When we obey Christ, we have faith in Christ, then we are automatically offspring of Abraham by faith. And once we become that offspring of Abraham by faith, we are guaranteed then all the promises that were made to Abraham and his children. And that promise of salvation that we've been talking about. We notice in this scripture also how we do that. It says, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's no other way the Bible talks about being able to put on Christ except through baptism. As a necessary means to become a Christian. God's plan was also foreshadowed through the animal sacrifices under the old covenant. They could not forgive man's sins, but they showed the importance of the ultimate sacrifice that Christ would make. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Tells us he does away with the first in order to establish the second. What was it that Christ fulfilled? Well, scripture tells us he fulfilled the Mosaic law, right? Christ said, I came to fulfill the law. That law could not be put aside until it was fulfilled. God's promises, those prophecies, all had to be fulfilled before this old law could be put aside. Christ did that. So once Christ had come, once Christ fulfilled the old law, it can now be set aside and his new law could come in. That's what we're under today. The sacrifices under the Mosaic law anticipated the redemptive death of Jesus. We read about the great patriarchs, but the traditions that they passed down through the ages can never do what the blood of Jesus Christ did. He purchased our salvation it cannot be purchased through things such as silver and gold. We read that in the Bible. His blood was 
set in motion that plan of salvation that God had cautiously shown piece by piece over the ages. We talked about that just a few moments ago. God did not lay this plan out at the beginning as a whole. God brought this plan into existence and showed it to us piece by piece over the ages so that we would learn about it, that we would learn to obey it. And now we have that plan before us. And it requires us to put our faith in it and follow that plan. If we do, then we're looking daily for ways to follow and obey Christ rather than looking for ways to avoid doing what the Bible tells us. And that's bad to say, but it's true in our society today. There are people out there who do not follow what the Scripture tells us through ignorance because they have never taken the time to study the Scriptures. They don't know the commands of of God and Christ and they don't understand what they have to follow. But unfortunately, there's also a group of people out there who have looked at the Bible, have learned the Scriptures a little bit, and they do their best to do the opposite of what the Scriptures tell us. We look at some of the writing some of the books and stuff that are published from atheists. And don't be fooled. Atheists have looked at the Bible and then they write exactly the opposite. And they do it intentionally. They don't want to follow God and they don't want us to follow God. So they twist the words of the scriptures as best they can and they do the best they can to convince us that they're not true. When we look into this plan of salvation, another part of that was the high priest. We'll see that in Hebrews chapter 4 and in chapter 9. Another, another one of the archetypes of salvation was that seen in the law of Moses and fulfilled in Christ in the role of the high priest. Under the old law, the high priest offered the sacrifice for the people on the day of atonement. You've probably heard of that in the news and things like that, is referred to normally today as Yom Kippur. That's the Day of Atonement. That's when these sacrifices were sinned were offered. But at that time, the priests themselves were guilty of sin, and they had to first offer sacrifices for themselves before they could offer sacrifice for the people. Unlike those priests, Jesus was sinless. He was undefiled. He possesses the ability to sympathize with us in our struggles against sin because he has been tempted, just like we're tempted. We read in the scriptures about Christ and the temptation that he had to endure. And he overcame it. So he understands the idea of temptation. We look at um, Hebrews 7 and 26. It says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. In addition to his sympathizing with our struggles, he intercedes for us with the Father. This means that he pleads our case before the very throne of God. We're not perfect. We never will be perfect. So we're going to need someone to intercede for us. When we stop and think about it, I mean, we read the scriptures and we kind of understand what this is telling us. But do we really stop and think about what these words are saying? When we really, really look at it deeply, we understand that 
the Son of God, who is a member of the triune Godhead, came to earth, suffered, bled, and died. He ascended back into heaven. He stands before the Father, <clears throat> excuse me, before the Father, and he intercedes directly for you. You know, this doesn't necessarily mean that he intercedes as a whole for the world. He intercedes with the Father for you. When we look at it in that light, kind of means a little more to us, doesn't it? Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, that through his death, we can have redemption of our sins. To approach God through Christ means to have the freedom of access to the most holy place. His blood offers forgiveness rather than condemnation. Christ intercedes for us. Christ pleads for us. But we have the ability to be in the presence of Christ and God ourselves, which was not allowed under the Mosaic Law. Only the high priest could be in the presence of God. All the, all the people of the nation had to stay outside of this holy of holies. When the Bible talks about Christ's death and the veil of the temple was torn, that is significant because it signifies to us that we are now not separated from God. We do not have to have a man here on earth who intercedes for us with God because we're not worthy. We can pray directly to God now. You have to remember when we say our prayers, what do we usually end it with? Right? Something in the essence of the name of Jesus Christ. Right? So who are we praying through? Christ. Who is Christ? Well, Christ is God, is he not? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're praying directly to God we're doing things that were not allowed under the Mosaic Law. We can receive forgiveness of our sins as Christians through those prayers. But under the Mosaic Law, we'd have had to go and to see a priest and we would have had to offer an animal sacrifice and we'd have to go through all these things that was laid out in law before that. Okay, we've got a few more minutes here. So Abraham is a true example of faith, but, uh, but also obedience. Where would we be if Abraham had not obeyed God's command and submitted and did it? And just as Abraham did, our faith also requires action. If Abraham had never left that land, if he had never obeyed God, where would we be? God has always dealt with man on the basis of obedience, whether under the patriarchs, the Mosaic law, or the law of Christ, and this hasn't changed. We have to obey. Paul's description of the Mosaic Law as a tutor shows us that the law had a role to perform in God's plan to mankind. The book of Galatians also shows us that we no longer live under the law of Moses. We should appreciate the old law for what it accomplished. We should learn from it and faithfully serve. It should be encouraging us to know that this is our very high priest and mediator, Christ, and that he's concerned with our spiritual well-being. These are a few things we talk about the 
the foreshadowing in the Old Testament and the foreshadowing of those things that came about the plan of salvation and how it was supposed to work and how it was going to be. But as I said, these are just a few. All we've done is basically touch the surface here. When we look at it, we can go a little deeper, and we don't have time to do all these, but we look back <clears throat> about figures in the scriptures. Is Adam who foreshadows Jesus, who came really as the second Adam. The priesthood, which prefigures Christ as our high priest. David and other kings who prefigure Jesus as the king of kings. Moses and the prophets who prefigure Jesus as our ultimate prophet. Animal sacrifices which prefigure Jesus as the sinless lamb of God slain for our sins. Shepherds who care for their sheep, which reminds us we are foolish and vulnerable as sheep, but Jesus is our shepherd who cares for us and keeps the constant watch over us. Judges who foreshadow Jesus as the final judge of all the people. But also look, unlike the first Adam, Jesus was the last Adam who passed his test in the garden and doing so imputed righteousness to us to overcome sin. Abraham left his father, the father and home, was doing the same thing Jesus would do when he left heaven. When Isaac carried his own wood and laid down his life to be sacrificed at the hand of his father, Abraham, he was showing us what Christ would do later in carrying of his cross. Jesus is the greater Joseph who serves at the right hand of God the King, extends forgiveness and provision to those of us who have betrayed him, and uses his power to save us in loving reconciliation. Jesus is greater than Moses that he stands as a mediator between God and us, bringing the new covenant. Like Job, Jesus was innocent and he suffered and he was tormented by the devil so that God might be glorified. Jesus is a king greater than David who has slain all giants such as Satan, sin, and death. Jesus is greater than Jonah in that he spent three days in the grave to save a multitude even greater than Nineveh. As we see... When we talk about the foreshadowing, the things that we've discussed today, we have just barely scratched the surface of that foreshadowing. So I encourage you to go back and look at the scriptures to read in your daily study and think about this. And if you're reading, especially if you're doing some reading in the Old Testament, think about Christ and how these things in the Old Testament foretold his coming and were examples of his coming. Oftentimes we forget that. All right. Thank you very much.